Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good to be with you this morning. Good morning, Corral. Good to see you all today. Let me pray for us as we get going today. God, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to be in worship with friends and family around. It is good to have a seat at your table, which you set before us today. God, prepare us to feast on your word. Prepare us to be nourished by the presence of your spirit in our midst. Give to us, God, each as we have need. In your name we pray, amen. Well, after many weeks, we have moved on from our Acts series, and we'll spend August um, kind of doing a couple different things. We'll, we'll talk about stewardship some, and today we're going to talk about communion. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper together. Um, it's not just we're observing the Lord's Supper. It is our text for the sermon today. We'll be in Luke 22, 14 through 20, if you want to follow along with the story, Luke 14 excuse me, Luke 22, 14 through 20. There we go. Luke 22, 14 through 20. You know this passage. You've heard it before. We often summarize bits of it, if not all of it, every month when we take the Lord's Supper together. In this text, Jesus is in the last week of his life. He's had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem He has cleansed the temple of the money changers and the lenders. He has taught in the temple and confounded and angered uh, everyone, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, most of those around. And there was a plot afoot to kill Jesus. By this point, Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus. But it was the day of Passover, This day when God's people around the world, but certainly in Jerusalem, people were in for this celebration. They've come here for this day of remembrance, a day when God's people remembered the time God had orchestrated their escape from slavery quite miraculously from Egypt. And Jesus, in the early part of the chapter, sends Peter and John ahead of the rest of the disciples to prepare the feast. And they say, well, where are we supposed to prepare it? And he gives them very specific instructions, somewhat miraculously set up, it seems, for them to, be, to, to prepare this meal. And when evening came, they gathered around. And when the time came, they reclined at the table together. You, you've seen this, right, in the Last Supper, in many other famous paintings and depictions of this scene. Jesus reclined at the table with his disciples. He told them how he had longed to eat this meal with them. They had to know that they were coming to some form of conclusion, 
The Gospels, all of them are very clear. As Jesus travels this last time to Jerusalem, the ministry is coming to a point. It's coming to a head. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they had to sense something momentous was about. But Jesus knew. And he had orchestrated this meal I think it's so telling. We, we can imagine his anticipation of what he's about to say and what he's about to do. And these are his last moments with his friends, with his disciples, these ones, this deep relationship. They've eaten together how many times over the last three years, their last time to gather together before it all changes. He tells them how much he wanted to eat with them before he had to suffer. That he would not eat this meal again. They would not eat this meal again together until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. A phrase that must have sent their minds and their imaginations spinning at what exactly that meant. Then he filled everyone's glass with wine around the table. And he told them, I tell you all that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And, and he took bread and he broke it and he gave someone to every, some to everyone at the table and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, that, that present tense. It's going to be, it will continue to be, it remains today broken for you and then this phrase that we'll talk about most today, do this in remembrance of me. And, and then he lifted his cup, the cup that he had filled for the rest of them, and they raised their cups and that he had poured, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new way we're going to relate to one another. I find it fascinating intriguing, a little mystifying, that this meal, this meal, the, the meal itself, the act of eating together, and a meal particularly that commemorates death, is the one thing they're really, we are really, commanded, instructed to do. The, the one really institution we're given where Jesus very clearly says, do this and keep doing this. Do this, not just do it. Don't just eat together. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and he, it's all about his death, this act of eating focused around his death. I mean, there's many things we do following Jesus. There's many things we know we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus, but, but there's only this one thing Jesus specifically told his disciples to do in his memory. Share a meal with meaning. I mean, there are other things he could have asked us to do that would have brought us together, that would have bound us to one another, that would have been meaningful and impactful and transformative for our faith. I mean, we could, we could have built mock empty tombs everywhere we gather and one Sunday morning a month at sunrise we gather together to remember resurrection in the empty tomb. I mean that would be lovely and we could gather one Friday night every quarter and recite together the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer or, or the parables or, or any number of passages and that would be powerful. Would have been a good idea. But no, 
Jesus chose this last meal with his disciples. Do this in remembrance of me. Sit down together at the table. Probably not like the one that was on the screen, all on one side. That makes for good art. It doesn't make for good table conversation, does it? We have to wonder why. Why sit together? Why break bread? Why pour the cup? Why in remembrance of death? Why choose a meal and remember him, not just a meal? Maybe he knew that resurrection would be easy to remember, but but crucifixion would be difficult. I mean, maybe he knew we would much rather talk about the empty tomb and resurrection. We would much rather imagine and, and, and pontificate on resurrection than we would crucifixion. And so it was really important for us as followers of Jesus to gather regularly and remember we serve a risen Lord, yes, but the resurrection only came through death. And that in our life as well, we're we're called to enter into suffering. We're called like Jesus to give up our rights, give up our privilege, give up our power, give up anything that we may possess for the sake of others in the world in the name of Jesus. And the only way to Jesus is by giving up of ourself so that we may live again one day. Maybe that was part of it. That crucifixion would be hard to follow, hard to remember, and we needed a regular gathering to do this. Perhaps. I mean, we do love Easter. (laughs) It is our biggest day of the year, not so much Good Friday. Perhaps Jesus knew the power of simple acts of eating together. That this simple thing we have to do to survive, we we should do every day if we are able. That 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 act of something that is biological and and a need that we have, one of our, our prime drives that we have, if we did it together, would also be something of incredible power that might form families and friendships and society itself. When I was a baby pastor, in my first year at Marble Falls at Fellowship Baptist Church, we needed a youth minister for the summer. And so we called Baylor. And this thing that's not really done anymore, but even 15, 17 years ago, it was done a little bit. And they sent us a summer youth minister. And so we got, uh, for this baby pastor, we got an even babier pastor to come in and, and help us for the summer. And, and this, this kid was fantastic. And he basically was Kelly and I's first child in many ways. He lived with us and hung out with us a lot that summer, and his name was Ben Carroll. We became good friends, and we had this little bitty tiny office that we shared. We didn't have a church yet. We met in a high school gymnasium, and excuse me, a high school auditorium, and uh, one day I was working on sermon and different things, and Ben was doing whatever youth ministers do on a Tuesday. You know, I'm still not sure about that sometimes, but just kidding, Austin. And Ben had had a philosophy class. And if you ever had a kid or a grandkid that goes to university and takes their philosophy, first philosophy class, you know they're incredibly dangerous. You know, they know just enough to think they know a whole lot and don't really know much yet. And he said, Matt, what do you think the prime symbol for Christian living is? 
and I'm working on a budget or something, you know, and I said, okay, well, let me put my pastor hat back on. What did you say? And he said, what do you think is the prime symbol for Christian living? I thought about it for a minute, and I was like, well, it's, it's got to be the cross, right? If we talk Christian symbols, the cross is the symbol that we gather around. He said, for belief, yes. He said, for living, I'm increasingly convinced it's the table. And he had had this class and had read all sort of good things by Jonathan Tran and others about this. And we began this long conversation of the possibilities of the table. Y'all realize every time we do this, every month here, it's Jesus that has set the table for us. It's very pretty. It's very lovely. It's hard to do with this many people. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. But it's like we've come today to a dinner party and, and Jesus has set the table for us. And this table, if we can imagine it, extends infinitely on both sides so that everyone who comes has room. Regardless of what you bring to the table, regardless of how you came to be here today, regardless of your physical, emotional, spiritual, any other state, before this meal is offered, there's room for you here. And it's set in love, and it's set with an invitation to unburden what is heavy on you. It's set with the promise of forgiveness for anything you may have done you need forgiveness for. It's set with the promise there will be a brother or a sister next to you who provides welcome and who embraces you and eats alongside of you. The table really is our symbol for life together. Something powerful happens when we eat together. There, there's signs of affection and connection and hope when we eat together. Sometimes when we eat together, and here's also the miracle of the table, this miracle of the table isn't just meant for here. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't just mean in worship once a month or for more traditional Baptists, once a quarter. I don't know how we got off on this system and do it so often. That was a little Baptist joke, sorry. Some of you didn't grow up as traditional as me, I guess. This table extends into our homes and extends into the homes of others we will eat with in our life. It extends to the restaurants we will occupy after church today and the coffee shops we will eat in, sit in, drink coffee, visit with others in this week. It extends everywhere God's people gather around with others to break bread, to share a drink, to visit about what's going on in their life. There's welcome in the table. There's affection in the table. Sometimes we gather at the table with those sort of strangers. Sometimes we gather with those we have some baggage with. But if we're willing to come to the table, there's some level of affection and hope and connection for that relationship. It's hard to remain really angry with people when we've shared the table together. I wouldn't get mad, but for sustained anger over time, when we eat together, 
it's a lot easy to be forgiving with those people we've shared a meal with. It's a lot easier to be loving to those people we've shared a meal with. It's a lot easier to empathize with those we've shared a meal with. The table has power. It's a sign of affection, connection, hope. At the table, we are vulnerable. That word may make you nervous. It may be very comfortable for you. I don't know, but you know, we sit in here and worship every week and you could do this for years and, and be very meaningfully impacted. I hope you are. But you could also sit in here in years and never learn anything in worship about those sitting next to you or across the aisle from you. We can attend Sunday school or small groups every week and I hope you will. I hope you do. And we can learn much about scripture. And in a good, healthy class, we'll learn something about one another to be sure. But not like we do at the table. I mean, we're in Texas. When we have people at our table, most often it is fajitas because it's easy and it's good. (laughs) And you sit down over fajitas over any table, and you start to tell stories. Where'd you grow up? What do you do for a living? Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your family. What was that like? You, you, you start telling stories. You receive stories. We learn about one another. If we share a table two or three times, often those stories go deeper and more intimate. The connection formed is more powerful and strong. The table has power. At the table, we cultivate belonging. There's something about the eating, the sharing of stories, the laughter at table, sometimes the tears at table, that food and drink, it forges something between us. It's easier, as I said, to love people with whom we've shared a table. Table and the act of eating have power. I sent an email out this week to all of you who are on our email list, asking you to share pictures of tables that are meaningful to you. And I'd ask you to think about that now. On what table in your life has been meaningful? I told the story of Mama's table in that email. Mama and Papa lived a block from me in Kennedy my whole life. And every Sunday dinner was at Mama's table. There it is up there right now. That's at Christmas, oh, quite some time ago. Addison's really small and Kelly has short hair, so that's been a while. Every Sunday meal was at Mama's table. At least two or three other meals during the week at Mama's table. Many of you, they will have several tables you have shared flashing through here. For the five grandkids in our family We've been texting about it some this week. I don't think there's any place else, including our homes, where we felt safer and more loved and at home than at Mama's table. We could come there and be ourselves. We came there with Mama and Papa and aunts and uncles, and we learned that we had a name, and we learned that we had a story, and we belonged. We learned that we had a voice at that table. We were required to speak and tell stories and join in on the fun Throughout the many years, there would be family members, in-laws and outlaws that we all have that would have various problems from time to time. And for a month or two, they would show up at Mama's table with the rest of us and would heal. 
high chairs were pulled up. As new babies were born and places were left empty as family members died. Generations passed at Mama's table. You all shared stories with me. Stories and pictures of the last meal shared with your family at that table. Stories of holidays, stories uh, with family and friends, stories of table where you do crafts with your grandchildren and teach them that your love of setting the table and the meaning of setting a table well for others around with friends. Stories of you getting together for birthdays, church members, and how meaningful that has been for you. There are other tables I could speak of. When Kelly and I were married, we were gifted a table from her grandfather and step-grandmother. It wasn't the prettiest table, but it was the right price, which was free for newly married couples. We bought chairs and had them finished to match just right. You know, over 18 years, that table is scratched and shows the wear of thousands of meals with us and with babies and toddlers. The the chairs have the marks of their high chairs that were strapped to them for years. It's not probably the table we would choose any longer, but we can barely stand the thought of getting rid of it for the power of what has been shared around it. You all shared beautiful pictures. How amazing that that which we must do daily to survive is also that which draws us to one another and creates community and affection and love between us. I mean, in the table and act of eating, God brings together biology and sociology and psychology and anthropology and theology all together in one act. Needs are met at the table, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, family and friendships forged at the table, community created at the table. And if we add just a hint, just a bit of intention to the meal, Christ is honored and shared and celebrated in the food, drink, conversation, love, and merriment. When we observe communion or Lord's Supper, it's Jesus who sets the table for us, inviting us to pull up a chair, be relieved of our burdens for he wants us to give them to him. To come and share with him the story of our day or our life and where we saw him in it and where we failed and and where we have joy and to bring all of that to him. As my friend Ben taught me, it's the symbol for our life together. It's this table that extends to welcome all of us. Jesus sets the table for us today like a friend inviting you over for dinner. I'm going to ask the deacons to come down now to serve dinner for us. Or brunch, I guess, given this time of day. In a minute, they'll deliver this bite-sized meal to you. Symbolic of this feast we will share one day together 
with Jesus in the kingdom of God, with those that have gone before, with those that will come after. As they deliver this in a minute, I'd like you to think through two questions. How has God's forgiveness shaped your life? I mean, that's what Jesus was wanting us to remember. His body poured out for us. His, his blood spilled for us. As we broke bread and as we, we lift the cup to remind us what Jesus has done for us and the power it has in our lives the transformative nature of it, that we live every day in light of the salvation we have through Jesus, through the gift of his body and his blood and subsequent resurrection. How has his forgiveness shaped your life? I mean, did it matter in the way you lived this week that Jesus has forgiven you everything? We live in light of this. So think of that. How has Jesus' forgiveness shaped your life? And second, what tables have blessed your life? What tables have blessed your life? Give thanks for those. We believe that the Spirit of God is alive and moving in our presence together and therefore is moving in and through this meal. We want all to be a part Friends, if you've come today visiting and maybe haven't been here before, if you are a believer in Lord Jesus or have an interest in Jesus, we invite you to share in this supper with us today and partake as it is delivered in a minute. When Christ broke bread for his disciples at the Last Supper, he invited them to eat of his body and drink of his blood. I invite you to thoughtfully and faithfully participate with me and be changed. On the same night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the bread of life. He that eats this bread will live forever. That night in the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the water of life. He that drinks of this water shall never thirst, but it shall become in him or her a well of water springing up to eternal life. That night in the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the blood of my new covenant. Drink of it, all of you. When Jesus sets a table for us and nourishes us, he calls us as well. The command, do this in remembrance of me, as I said, is not limited to once a month in this sanctuary. We are called, if we receive this meal that Jesus sets for us, we're called to set tables in our world for one another. And if you're a member here, if you participate in the life of Trinity and are not on, on some sort of regular basis, gathering together at a table with other people in worship, with other people in your Sunday school or small group, 
You're not living into the fullness of what it means to be the body of Christ together. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a big meal. It doesn't have to be every day of your life. But we should set tables for one another. Who does God put on your mind in prayer? Who's someone that you don't know? You think, well, I'd like to get to know them better. Inviting over for dinner. Invite them over out for coffee. Set a table for people in your life so that the power of the table might be made manifest among us. This is how community is created, friends. But the table extends beyond those we worship with as well. It extends to those in our neighborhoods, our workplaces. It extends to those out in the world. We're called as followers of Jesus to set tables of welcome and blessing for others. Who in your life, who do you know that's lonely? Who doesn't get to sit at a table with others often? Have you ever been in that season of life? Or you'd have given anything for a table of friends to sit around with. Be that place for others. Who is hungry, literally hungry, and in need of a table of food and fellowship? Who is struggling and needs a table to unload their burdens and share their story over chips and salsa or queso. I mean, who may not feel at home in the world or in their own skin or in their season of life and they need a table of someone older and wiser to listen to them and tell them they are loved, to let them know they have a voice and are known. Who is on the outside looking in in any number of ways in this world and is in need of a table to know they are loved? we receive this, there is a call to extend this to others as well that is part and parcel of our call to follow Jesus. The charge, do this in remembrance of me, is far-reaching. The table of Jesus extends everywhere we go in our world and in our life, and anywhere we sit with the hope of Jesus on our lips and in our hearts. Let me pray for us. God, we sit amazed, we stand amazed at the incredible welcome you provide for us, that anyone who calls on your name has a seat at this banquet feast in the kingdom of God that we take today in, in bite-sized measures, but we know one day we will take in full. And our seat at this table has changed us once and for all. And you call us to continue to sit and feast even while we have eyes to extend this table to others. Help us to feast in you so that we might be equipped to feed others. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.